Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. Hello, Las Vegas. You are listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL, LP 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio. We're coming to you live from Studio B at Liberty Baptist Church on Rainbow and Lake Mead Boulevard. If you have questions, suggestions, or comments for the show, you can call us at 702-647-4522 or email us at radio at experienceliberty.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with me directly, you can find me on Twitter at The Frittle. Apologies to those of you trying to listen via the stream. I know that hasn't been working the best the last couple days, but I think it's uh, it's running right now. So hopefully uh, it will continue to run. Thanks to those of you listening over at the405media.com as well. It's always a pleasure to have you here. So we're starting the day with a, just a horrible headline uh, out of Egypt today. Last night, an Egyptian air flight with 66 people on board, uh, was suddenly just gone. It vanished 10 miles into Egyptian airspace, flying from Paris to Cairo, and it just it just disappeared. Nobody knew what happened. Nobody knew what was going on. But now, this morning, uh, they're saying that it was almost certainly a terror attack, and all 66 people on board are believed to have perished in that Incident. This is from the Daily Mail. Debris has been found in the search for the Egypt airplane that crashed into the Mediterranean with 66 people on board after the jet went into a sudden spin and plunged 22,000 feet before vanishing off the radar. Flight MS-804 disappeared near the Greek island of Carpathos around 10 miles into Egyptian airspace at 12.30 a.m. GMT without making a distress call, triggering fears of a terror attack. Hours later, a Greek fr- uh, it was two large plastic objects were discovered floating in the sea 230 miles south of the island of Crete, Greek defense sources said. The two objects appeared to be pieces of plastic in white and red and were spotted close to an area where a transponder signal had been emitted. Earlier, Greek Defense Minister Panos Kaminos said the Airbus A320 made sudden swerves in midair, lurching 90 degrees to the left, then 360 degrees to the right as it fell out of the sky. He said the plane dropped 37,000 feet to 15,000 feet before the signal was lost around 10,000 feet. The revelation came as security experts, minister, and former air accident investigator said all the evidence pointed to the plane being targeted in a terrorist attack. The 56 passengers on board included one Briton, 30 Egyptians, 15 French, one Belgian, one Iraqi, one Kuwaiti, one Saudi Arabian, one Chadian, one Portuguese, one Algerian, and one Canadian. There were also 10 crew members, including three air marshals. The British national was believed to be a man from South Wales. That's just absolutely horrible. Essentially what authorities are saying is that a technical problem like a fire or a failed motor would not cause an instant accident like this, that that the flight crew would have had time to react if it was an accident. But since they didn't say anything, since there wasn't that reaction, 
they think it was a very brutal terror attack that probably went down on board. And our thoughts and prayers are with the families and friends uh, of all those individuals um, who were on board that flight. Moving back here to the U.S., yesterday, Donald Trump, as promised, has released his list of potential Supreme Court nominees. He's got 11 names, 11 people, and, uh, you know, you look at this list and you're like, wow, this is a pretty great list. It doesn't include Ted Cruz, but I personally didn't think that it would. Number one, because Cruz said that he doesn't want a position on the high court. And number two, it's really you can't work that hard to brand someone as a terrible person and then turn around and nominate them for the court. That was very much a long shot from the beginning. It just doesn't work out well. But uh, so he's he's unveiled 11 potential Supreme Court justices. We're just going to take some time and go through these now. This is from Politico. Donald Trump on Wednesday released a list of 11 judges he would consider appointing to the Supreme Court, offering up a group of relatively tame conservative jurists apparently curated with the help of GOP leaders. In an unusually restrained statement, Trump's campaign offered up short bios of the judges and described the list as one assembled first and foremost based on constitutional principles with input from highly respected conservatives and Republican Party leadership. The roster is made up of a combination of six George W. Bush appointees to federal appeals courts and five currently serving on their state's highest court. Not exactly extreme choices from a candidate who has run such an unconventional race. But... Side note, I don't think we've ever had a justice come from the Supreme Court of a state. I kind of really like that idea. I like that we're tapping into Supreme Court justices from states. Because, one, that means they have a very, I don't want to say solid record, but meaning that the record is good, but that there's a record there that we can look at and see how they would... uh, how they would legislate from the bench or not legislate from the bench if they're um, a strict constitutionalist or not. And if they're coming from a state Supreme Court, more likely than not, they would be very strong on states' rights and understand the need to keep federal and state power separate and limited. So back to the article. According to the campaign, the list includes Stephen Coltwin. Oh, well, then it goes through and lists them all. We're going to break down who they all are in just a second. Um, absent from the list was Trump's sister, Marianne Trump Barry, a senior circuit judge for the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. Trump had suggested in February that his sister is a highly brilliant woman known as great, you know, very brilliant judge. But he added, I don't even know what her views are, and I don't think she'd want to tell me. Super. Super close family. In a statement on Wednesday, Trump paid homage to late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, whose death in February injected another high-stakes angle into the presidential race and provoked a showdown between President Barack Obama and the Senate. All right, let's see. Do any more from this article? So uh, one of the names on this list is... Um... Sykes, Justice Sykes. Sykes' ex-husband, Charlie Sykes, is a conservative radio host in Wisconsin. Interestingly, Charlie Sykes was part of the Never Trump campaign prior to the Wisconsin primary. 
and he talked to MSNBC yesterday, and he said that his two sons had just texted him saying, well, I guess we didn't ruin mom's Supreme Court chances yet. But he went on to say, I don't really take Donald Trump that seriously. I don't believe anything he says, but she would certainly be an outstanding choice, said Sykes of his ex-wife. Interesting. So there's that perspective. But let's look at who these uh, who these candidates actually are. Okay, this is from the New York Times. They broke down who they are. So there's Stephen Culleton from Iowa. He's currently on the United States Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit. He was nominated by George W. Bush in 2003. He had been a clerk for Chief Justice William Rehnquist and was an associate independent counsel on the Whitewater investigation. Then you have Allison Ede from Colorado. She serves on the Colorado Supreme Court. Justice Ede was appointed in 2006 by Governor Bill Owens. She previously served as the state solicitor general and she clerked for Justice Clarence Thomas. She was also formerly a speechwriter for William Bennett and a secretary of education in the Reagan administration before attending law school. We have Raymond Grunder from Missouri. He's also on the United States Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit. Judge Grunder, who has been suggested by conservatives as possible nominee before, was nominated for his current post by President Bush in 2003. He has also worked as a prosecutor, serving as the United States Attorney for the Eastern District of Missouri in St. Louis. His political background includes working as a Missouri State Political Director for Bob Dole's 1996 presidential campaign. Then there's Thomas Hardiman. He's from Pennsylvania. He's on the U.S. Court of Appeals on the Third Circuit. Hardiman was nominated by President Bush in 2003 after a decade in private practice. He's a graduate of Notre Dame. And among his notable cases was a 2014 decision overturning Philadelphia's 95-year-old ban on political contributions by police officers. And you have Raymond Kethledge from Michigan. He's on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. Judge Kethledge, confirmed months before President Bush left office, worked as a clerk for Justice Anthony Kennedy. This year he wrote a decision ordering the Internal Revenue Service to provide, to provide information about tax-exempt applications as part of a Tea Party lawsuit that accused the agency of unfairly targeting conservatives. Then we have Joan Larson from Michigan. Judge Larson serves on the Michigan Supreme Court. She was appointed to the court last fall by Governor Rick Snyder. She's up for election in November. Uh, She spent several years as a law professor at the University of Michigan, and she was a clerk for Justice Scalia. Then there's Thomas Lee from Utah. Probably my favorite name. Actually, I have two favorite names on this list, but Thomas Lee from Utah. He sits on the Utah Supreme Court. Justice Lee has been on the Utah Supreme Court since 2010, and he is the brother of Senator Mike Lee of Utah. Mike Lee, interestingly enough, endorsed Senator Ted Cruz in the Republican primary. Mike and Thomas Lee, by the way, are also the sons of Rex Lee, who was United States Solicitor General under President Reagan. Then you have William Pryor Jr. in Alabama. He sits on the Court of Appeals for the 11th Circus. Judge Pryor was Alabama's Attorney General when he was nominated by President Bush in 2003. That year he was at the center of a national firestorm when he called for the removal of the state's Chief Justice, Roy Moore, who had refused to obey a federal court order to remove a Ten Commandments monument from the state's judicial building. Judge Pryor initially supported Judge Moore, but wound up leading the prosecution that led to his ouster from the bench. So, that's interesting. 
Then we have David Strauss from Minnesota. He's a Minnesota Supreme Court justice. He's been on the court since 2010. He was previously a faculty member at the University of Minnesota Law School. He was selected six years ago by Governor Tim Pawlenty. And he was only 35 years old at the time. Then we have Diane Sykes from Wisconsin. It's her husband was the one that I mentioned earlier. She sits on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circus. Circus. <laughs> Circuit. Judge Sykes was nominated by President Bush in 2003. And uh, she's she's been fairly conservative in, in Wisconsin. Then you have Don Willett in Texas. This is my other favorite name on this list. He sits on the Texas Supreme Court. He was appointed by Governor Rick Perry in 2005. He served as an advisor to George W. Bush in the Texas Governor's Office and in the White House. He then worked in the Justice Department office that coordinates the judicial nomination and confirmation process with the White House and the Senate. Later, he was Deputy Attorney General under Greg Abbott, now the state's governor. Last June, Justice Willett, an eager Twitter user, weighed in on the prospect of a Trump of a President Trump's imprint on the Supreme Court <laughs> by saying, who would the Donald name to SCOTUS? The mind reels. And then in parentheses, weeps, can't finish tweet. Willett has been an outspoken, um, um, let me see, how do I say this? Not a, he's not a never Trump guy. I would say he's more of a balanced observer but he's hilarious on Twitter, and he's not afraid to tweet truth, shall we say, as he sees it regarding Trump or Hillary or anyone else. Really funny guy and brilliant legal mind. If you're on Twitter, you should definitely follow him. He's at Justice Willett, W-I-L-L-E-T-T. He would be a fantastic choice. Uh, um, Mike Lee's brother. Um, what's his name? Thomas Lee would be a fantastic choice. Sykes would be a fantastic choice. There are a lot of really, really good choices on this list. It's a great list. And if he would stick to this list, I think that Trump could sway some conservatives and some of the never-Trump people just because they realize the importance of the court and if they knew that this was actually that we would actually get people from this list onto the Supreme Court, I think he would have a shot at persuading people. This list has serious potential. Or it did. Because what what does Mr. Trump do? Before the list is even a day old, he gets on Twitter and says it's been so well received that now he's going to add names to it in the next few weeks. And in doing so, I fear very much that he is confirming what many conservatives don't like. That they don't feel that they, that they can trust him. That they don't know if he'll do what he says he'll do because he changes his mind so quickly. I mean, I understand that you, know, you start with a, a group of nominees, potential nominees, and you sort through them and hash through them. And it goes round and round the process. And you could very well end up with someone that's not on this list. But it's not even a day old. Don't tell people... I want to revise my list. I know it's not a day old, but I think it needs some revision already. No, it's just not smart. I mean, for a great businessman, Mr. Trump, in my opinion, is potentially imploding his greatest potential asset. It really kind of gives me a headache. Look, there's a saying that says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Your list ain't broke, Mr. Trump. Please don't fix it. 
Just just don't just don't touch it. It's good. Leave it alone. <sighs> but there was a poll released post his naming these potential justices and it seems to have helped. He is now up 5% in national polling over Hillary Clinton for the November election. 42% to 37%. 13% of Americans still currently prefer some other candidate and 7% remain undecided. Interesting. What's what's interesting about those numbers to me too is that uh, just a few weeks ago at the beginning of the month that number was Trump leading 41% to 39%. So he's gained one. Hillary's dropped two. But there are less people now that prefer some other candidate. There were 15% then. But in addition to that, 5% were undecided. The undecideds have increased, while the I like somebody else has decreased. To me, that's fascinating. Maybe just because I like thinking about politics, but... To me, it's fascinating. Trump now gets, this is from Rasmussen, Trump now gets 76% of the Republican vote, while Clinton has 72% of Democratic support. 13% of Democrats prefer Trump, while 9% of GOP voters favor Clinton. Among voters not affiliated with either major party, Trump leads 41% to 28%, but 31% of these voters either like another candidate or are undecided. Intriguing. While there is much talk of a gender gap in this race, Clinton appears to have a bigger problem with men than Trump does with women. Trump leads by 22 points among men, compared to Clinton's 11-point advantage among women. Those under 40 favor Clinton, while older voters prefer Trump by double-digit margins. Younger voters traditionally have been a key part of the Democratic base, but right now one-third of those voters like some other candidate or are undecided. I would, I mean... I think that's pretty obvious. I would say that they're going to Bernie Sanders. But anyway, many of... Oh, look, if I kept reading. Many of these voters are likely to be Sanders supporters, which highlights how important it will be for Clinton to quickly heal her party after she wins the nomination. Yeah. Um, About that, I think that you could pretty correctly say that Bernie Sanders is the most influential an important man in the Democratic Party right now. He has such a base and so many delegates that when it gets down to the Democratic Convention, and regardless of what happens in the upcoming elections, if Hillary holds out by maintaining the lead with these superdelegates, they're going to have to give that man something or they're in big trouble. You have got to get the Bernie Sanders supporters on board with a Hillary run or... It, I mean, this this thing may be over, which will be interesting. So for those of you in Nevada, here's some big news for our state. This happened uh, yesterday afternoon. Towards the end of the day, a Las Vegas judge has upheld the constitutionality of Senate Bill 302. That's the ESA law. He said that the ESA law does not violate the Blaine Amendment. In their statement, it 
said, quote, this court upholds the Nevada program. The choice scholarship program is within the legislature's power under Article 11, Sections 1 and 2. And the enacted program does not violate Section 10's prohibition on the use of funds for sectarian purposes. The court finds plaintiffs are not entitled to relief under any set of facts alleged in their complaint. The court grants defendants motion to dismiss and dismisses plaintiffs complaint pursuant to and then you list some some law but as just a reminder to everyone before you get too excited the carson city judge's injunction against the program still remains in place right now that is still awaiting a hearing with the nevada supreme court but this is good news it's a step in the right direction for those of you looking uh, to utilize the esa program the Las Vegas judge has said it is constitutional and doesn't violate the Blaine Amendment. Now we just wait to see, again, what the Supreme Court is going to do there. Uh, today's programming is brought to you by Krispy Kreme Donuts Fundraising Opportunities. Krispy Kreme fundraisers are available year-round. They can take place over one to two days or one to two weeks. If your educational, religious community, or charitable cause is looking for a fun way to meet your financial goals, Krispy Kreme can help. Krispy Kreme provides free fundraising materials for your use. You can visit KrispyKreme.com fundraising or your local Krispy Kreme to learn more. Our thanks to Krispy Kreme for their support of KVXL programming. Right, we're going to take a break. When we get back, my friend Dan Roth is with us. We're going to talk a little bit more about Trump's uh, SCOTUS list, as well as a new program that he is starting. So don't go away. You want to catch him. We're going to play Amazing Grace. My chains are gone, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. And welcome back. You are listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL LP 101.1 FM here in Las Vegas. We're streaming online at KVXL101.com. Dan Roth, our, uh, our political consultant, you are, you're basically like one of our Jamie Dupree's. You know how Sean Hannity has his Jamie Dupree? That's kind of what you are. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> so let's start, with, uh, let's start with the big political news of the day, obviously, and that would be that Trump has released a list of potential SCOTUS, for those of you that, that don't use acronyms, that would be the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, potential Supreme Court nominees. What do you think of this list? You know, it's it's an interesting list. I'm surprised he put out 11 names because I doubt he's going to have 11 openings during sure. the time uh, that he'll be president if he's elected even two terms. Uh, it's really kind of an interesting mix Uh the one that obviously caught my attention was Texas Supreme Court Justice Don Willett, right. who, if you're not following on Twitter, you're just you're just missing out. Uh, but he's proven to be somebody that's a very strong conservative judge, uh, has actually kind of poked fun at Trump uh, over the course of this uh, campaign. So mm-hmm. I'm surprised that he's made the list. Uh, but there's some others on there that kind of uh, surprised me, uh, one being uh, – just uh, Judge William Pryor uh, from yeah. uh, currently uh, on the uh, 11th U.S. Circuit Court. Uh, he was one of the people that called for the removal of Alabama Chief Justice Roy Moore over the whole removal of the Ten Commandment pillar from the Alabama Judicial Building. Right. Uh, so that was kind of something. I'm just like, are you, are you trying to win conservatives with Hick? I mean, I know he was nominated by President Bush. But things like that, I don't think are going to really uh, strengthen the stance of uh, Trump uh, with conservatives. 
Yeah, Pryor was uh, the Pryor was the name that I was like, huh, that one's kind of iffy there. But for the rest of them, there it's really it's it's a surprisingly conservative list. But like you said, the eleven names I was like eleven. That's kind of a lot. You don't need eleven. But uh, I was having a, a discussion with someone last night, and he was like, "Look, it's not even probably going to be one of the people on this list." You know, by the time they run through the process of everyone and screen everyone and hash everything out. The list always changes. And I'm going, well, but doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose of him even releasing a list? And then last night he tweeted, I don't know if you saw this, but he tweeted, my list was so well received. I'm going to add names to it over the next couple of weeks. And I'm like, oh, oh, just don't, don't, don't touch it. <laughs> yeah, the thing with Trump is it seems like there's always such a qualifier of some sort on what he says. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the past, it's been, well, that's just a thought I had. This one, he said, like you said there, that he might be adding more to it. And I've also heard uh, say that his campaign has come out, and I haven't seen this officially, but his campaign has come out and said this is just for Scalia's seat. Other seats, it's a whole new ball game. Ooh. So that really adds question to why 11 names for yeah. one seat. Sure. And yeah. No, I didn't. Question. I didn't see that, but that's very interesting because there's potential that he gets up to three more besides Scalia's seat, and then someone else last night was like, "Oh well, you know, all the conservatives have been saying Trump's going to nominate his sister, and it's going to be terrible." Well, guess what? His sister isn't even on his radar. Well, if it's only for Scalia's seat, one and two. You're the same person and people group that's saying that this list is just a starting point and it could completely change. So. I, I'm confused. Yeah, and I'll see if I can find the the article I saw that in, and I'll tweet it out for people. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's it's interesting. You you can never really know what this guy's going to do because he's come out and said what I actually do might be different from what I say. Right. And that just it's a little unnerving. Right, and it it's regardless of whether you you like Trump or you don't like Trump, that's just a fact. Like the man literally says. Uh, the other, I think it was two weeks ago, he said during an interview, everything I say on the campaign is a starting point. It's a suggestion. And it's subject yep. to change. Which, you know, isn't real uh, confidence inspiring when you're trying to bring people to your side that maybe have doubts about what you're doing. Yeah, and I think that's why he's going to have a hard time getting conservatives to get behind them, especially those that are like you and me, and we pay attention to the news. And we're we're looking for what exactly is going on because we see things where it's a starting point. It's a suggestion. There might be more later on. And we think, okay, so basically you said you can't be held to your word because you've given yourself an out, which makes us wonder, what will you actually really do? Right. Why, is there, why is there a need for that out and what is the out going to be? Yeah, essentially he's saying I have zero campaign promises by doing that. Right, right. Which, in a sense, is is smart because. Uh, um, but in another sense, it's kind of like okay. Um, I know, I know, he's going for the whole not a politician. I don't do things the politician way, and I and I get that. And, but the thing is, with Trump, I'm not really sure that it hurts him or helps him either way. He just doesn't seem it doesn't seem to matter with Trump. And I think, at least among people that I know, more and more of of my conservative friends that have been that didn't support him in the primary are saying. You know what? We know what Hillary is going to do. It will definitely be bad with Hillary. Yeah, we may not know what Trump is going to do, but we'd rather take the risk on him than 
the whole half a vote for Hillary theory um, by not voting for him. Yeah, and I just found the article here. It's over at The Resurgent. Uh, his campaign has clarified that the list was only for Antonin Scalia's seat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that that makes me... Okay, so maybe his sister is still in the running just for the next seat. That's the sort of thing that has people like me who we've been had before in the past. Somebody says, oh, yes, I'm incredibly conservative. Then they get in office, and it turns out they're super wishy-washy. And we're oh, well, I'm just tired of it. Yeah, well, there's that aspect of it. And like you said, you already have 11 names. Even with the yeah. whole vetting process, if this list is only for one seat, 11 might be enough. Just, just a thought. <laughs> it could be, but again, it, I think a lot of Trump's uh, campaign strategy is any press is good press, and he's mm-hmm. doing whatever he can to get his name out there. And frankly, it seems to be doing well for him. It does. It it seems to be working. I, like I said, I think he's slowly, and I would say very slowly, <laughs> persuading at least some conservatives that didn't like him to say, "Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the risk on you." What I think comes back to bite him is if he were to be elected this November and then he gets in office and starts governing as many conservatives fear that he would, but they're willing to take a chance on him anyway. I don't it, like if he does not keep some sort of conservative governance in mind if he is elected, I think there's a huge backlash and political consequences for conservatives and the GOP for potentially decades to come. Yeah, I mean, and I look at Trump in two different ways. I look at every race in two different ways, the short term and the long term. And if I was focused solely on the short term within the next four years, yeah, I would be voting for Donald Trump, no doubt. But as I look at the long term and what he could do in four years in the race that we've got in 2020, if he disenfranchises conservatives so they don't go out to the polls at all, then we're losing the House, the Senate, the White House down ticket at state levels and that's a really scary thing where we could be turning a large percentage of government positions over to the democrats at super majority levels and we talk about hillary getting the next four years okay can we still hold the house and senate though because now we have a check but if we just completely disenfranchise and dishearten the conservative base of the republican party we are looking at a long road to repair. So you're, you're hitting on something that I think a lot of people don't understand about many individuals that are of the whole never Trump persuasion. And that is that it's the long term strategy. People are saying, well, we can't survive four years of Hillary. I, I get that point. But I also know that eight years ago we heard that we couldn't possibly survive as a nation four years of Obama. Now we're eight years into Obama. The question for many people seems to be coming down to the ones that are at least holding the I will not no matter what vote for Trump line is, look, I think that in the long term, it does us more harm than good. Because, like you said, if we disenfranchise conservatives, if we completely turn people off to republicanism, and that would depend very much on how Trump governs, granted. Mm -hmm, But if he governs in a less than conservative manner and then people just say, okay, done with republicanism forever, then you will definitely see some kind of independent vote in 2020 if we don't see one yet even this election cycle. Most likely then you have uh, Democrat control, and like you said, you end up losing the House and the Senate, and then it's just, there. yeah, there is no check or balance left. 
Yeah, and I've heard a lot of people that have come out and said, I have left the Republican Party over Donald Trump already. So we're already starting to see a falling away of supporters, people who I know go out, knock doors, make phone calls. They do the whole nine. They are the blood of the Republican Party, and they're already leaving. If Trump does end up being a more liberal president than some people seem to think, you're just going to see a mass exodus, and then what's the Republican Party going to do? Yeah, but there's also the flip side of that. You know, we'll we'll give the other side a, a thought here. They're saying, well, we're bringing in new voters. Trump is winning right now, at least in the polls. It's very possible that he does get elected. I mean, he's I would say he mm-hmm. pretty much has a 50-50 chance at this point. So if he does get right. elected and if he does govern according to at least the good things that he says, I mean, if he does build a wall, if he does repeal Obamacare, if he does give us at least one or hopefully more than one actually conservative Supreme Court justice, if he does do those things, then I think there's potential for for amazing things to happen in 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. Uh, how much are we willing to gamble based on the odds and probabilities of things uh, playing out? And that's something everyone has to weigh on their own. Right. I mean, I never go up to somebody who's supporting Trump saying you shouldn't do that. Uh, but I also don't dissuade the people who are not voting for Donald Trump because I'm one of them. So it's just one of those things. We're going to have to see. It's it's a gamble, obviously. Um, I wish we weren't in a position where our candidate is a gamble, but here we are. The cards are on the table. we got to play it as is. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I would never uh, – yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that each individual needs to vote according to their conscience, and I would encourage people not to violate their conscience in casting their vote. And that's the bottom line. If if your conscience says Donald Trump is the best thing that could possibly happen to America, then good for you. Vote for Donald Trump. If your conscience says Hillary Clinton is the best thing that could possibly happen to America, well, okay, vote for Hillary if that's what you want to do. I, everyone has to make their own decision. Only It's only you and and God in the voting booth, so... You know, do what you what you think is right. But uh, anyway, so that's that's our little our little banter on Trump's SCOTUS <laughs> list. Let's talk about yeah. you've got some exciting stuff going on. You're starting uh, your own show. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, this past week, I have officially launched Saturday Morning Politics uh, and kind of give you the background on it. Uh, a great example actually came up this week while. Uh, I was out getting coffee from Tim Hortons. Uh, I was getting my coffee at the cash register, and I overheard a couple of guys uh, debating the whole uh, bathroom debacle that's going mm. on. And I com- I agreed with them 100%, but their arguments were so poor mm. that I, I, I heard them. I'm just like, you're not going to influence or convince anyone with that. Sure. Because there was no backbone to it. It was rhetoric. It was you know, sound bites. There was no deep, meaningful conversation taking place. And really, I kind of like get back to the old days of Saturday morning cartoons, but more for adults where, I don't know if you remember, but cartoons used to be educational to a degree. They managed to sneak some educational thing into the cartoon. Yeah. Uh, I, I learned about economics from the cartoon DuckTales. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, there was a great Looney Tunes about the way business should operate mm-hmm. uh, that I'll be talking about in my next episode and really kind of getting to the heart of things, laying things out so it's simple for everyone to understand. And then also dive into a little political philosophy because your philosophy is the root and will determine everything you decide. 
Yeah. Uh, for example, take it over to the Christian realm. I mean, I am a, if the Bible says it and we are rightly dividing it, that's how it is. End of discussion. Mm-hmm. And with that, you can figure out how I'm going to fall on just about everything. Right. And that's the thing. It doesn't take me hours and hours and hours to go through everything I believe. But if you understand my basic philosophy, you can determine so much. And that's where the argument needs to be held is at basic philosophy. Because mm-hmm. once you win that, you basically force people into going a certain direction. Right. Right. So how can people listen? Where are you? Do you have a podcast version live? What are, What's going on? It's a hundred percent podcast. We just, uh, we, we, that part was jumbled. Can you say that, answer that one again? Yeah, it's. I pre-record the whole thing and then edit it as needed. Uh, I am trying to get guests to come in and, you know, do interviews, all that good stuff. And it just makes it easier if it's all done in post uh, because I do have a day job. (laughs) So there is that element. Uh, But I'll be posting a link to the uh, podcast. It's just a URL. You plug that in your favorite podcast uh, application. You're subscribed. You get every episode as it comes out. Traditionally, I try to release episodes late Sunday or late Saturday morning Eastern time. So if you're on the West Coast, it's going to be pretty much right as you roll out of bed, uh, unless you're one of those weird people who gets up early on Saturday, but that's <laughs> your own thing. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'll just have a link on my Twitter here at Dan12R. Uh, like I said, just plug it in. Uh, this week, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have an episode because I am on the road this week. I'm in San Francisco right now. Uh, going to be in Houston over the weekend and then returning back to the great state of Michigan later on. So we'll see if I can get one up. Uh, yeah, Saturday mornings. Check it out. It's a good time. All right, there you go. Saturday mornings. What's it called again? Wake. Uh, po- Saturday morning politics. Saturday morning politics. There you go. Dan's new podcast. And I think your premise is fantastic. So I'd encourage everyone to check that out. You can get the links to the new show from his Twitter, which is Dan, the number 12, and the letter R, as in radio. Dan12R, or Roth, because that's his last name. That's probably actually it where it comes from. It <laughs> awesome. All right, Dan, I have to go, but thank you so much for taking time to join us and banter that stuff around today. Yep, no problem. Thank you. All right, see ya. We're KVXL, 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio. We are going to play Chris Tomlin with Greater, and we'll be back in just a minute to wrap things up for the day. Don't go away. And welcome back. We are wrapping things up for today's Frittle Show on KVXL LP, 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio here in Las Vegas. So Bond, James Bond, has decided to call it quits. Daniel Craig was offered $100 million to do two more installments as the British spy 007. And he said no. He said James Bond is not someone he is interested in continuing to portray. Apparently after Spectre, which was the last James Bond he did, he said he would rather slash his wrists than return as Bond for a fifth time. Wow. That's, um... That's not mincing words. (laughs) So Daniel Craig is done. No more Daniel Craig as James Bond. Which, by the way, if you watch James Bond, I would highly recommend you utilize VidAngel or some other good, very good filtering uh, program. Being 
considered to replace Craig, however, as James Bond, is the British actor Tom Hiddleston. The name doesn't ring a bell right away? Hold on to your seats now. Tom Hiddleston, if you are a Marvel fan or an Avengers fan, Tom Hiddleston is the actor that plays Loki, the bad guy. And I'm pretty sure like he pretty much only always ever plays bad guys. I don't know how you take someone who is known as being the bad guy and turn him into James Bond because James Bond is like just an iconic good guy figure. I I don't think Loki qualifies. Maybe Thor if we need to stick with a superhero or Captain America, except then he wouldn't be British, but you know, just trying to help here. Maybe we could make James Bond American. That then he would be better. Just saying. We won we won the War of Independence. So James Bond should probably be American. Maybe he can be an American that moves to Great Britain. And just just throwing it out there. Just options. Just options. <laughs> That's all the time we have left for today. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget, Memorial Day Sunday is coming up, Sunday the 29th, here at Liberty Baptist Church. We're at 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard, our 930 and 1115 services. We're going to be honoring a Gold Star family, remembering their son, Daniel Hyde. You can read Daniel's story in the book 24 Years and 40 Days. So we hope you and your family will join us as we uh, recognize this family and their son who gave the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. It's important that we don't forget the sacrifices of those who serve. That will be on May 29th. So not this Sunday, the one after that. Hope you and your family can join us every Sunday, actually. We're at 9.30 and 11.15. We'd love to have you here. Wednesday nights is 7 o'clock. Sunday night is 6 p.m. So many choices for you so that you can come to church, so that you can come and hang out with us and celebrate Jesus. This is Your Grace Still Amazes Me from Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you back here tomorrow, 7 a.m. We're going to give stuff away because it's Fun Friday. No politics. Don't miss it.